the motivation for the gospel itself is the love of God. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his only son. The love of God initiated the gospel of God into the world that God created through the Son of God. For God so loved the world, he gave. It's, it's, it's God's love. Welcome back to Living the Light, friends. Hey, as we begin today, I've got a question for you. What motivates you most? Have you thought about that much? When it's hunger that motivates us, we move to the fridge. When it's pleasure, we move to self-fulfillment. And when it's greed, we move to money. But what happens when we're motivated by the gospel? Well, we move to the Lord and we live for him. Pastor Robbie explains more in today's teaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The title of today's message is Made New and Motivated. Let's go right away to God's word for us. I'm always amazed at that when the attack comes on the church and the people are really there, man. Like, I've seen this in subtle ways and significant ways throughout the history of our church, man. When things start to get hard, I have, I have watched, like I have often personally, and maybe you, I've never felt more supported, strengthened, uh, warm-hearted as I see men and women of this church coming together uh, around me and around each other to say, hey, you're not alone. You're not alone. And tears run down my cheeks as you understand we're not alone. We have each other. So many of you would go to bat time after time after time for the cause of Christ in this place. That, that's, that's super blessing to me. That's unbelievably a blessing to me. There's hundreds of you that would do that. And we're praying for hundreds more. Because when the opposition comes, we find out where we stand. And the unity that's found, the awesome sense of God's power through the gospel, you find out who's really with you. That's what's so so listen, opposition can increase our motivation that we're made new. What do we live for? We're living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then don't miss in verse 12 as well. It says that his enemies. We're all about the outward appearance. See that in verse 12? Outward appearance. And so what Paul does, he takes the foolish aim of his enemies. They were all about the externals. And what he does, he reinforces that which is best, which is the heart. So he says, okay, so my opponents, they're going to be trying to attack me on the external things that they're so far about. I'm going to, I'm going to take that, turn it against them and say, but we're really about the things that matter. We're really about the heart. We're about true motivations. We're about true passions. We're about the gospel within our lives. Again, we are filled with wisdom. Ready, ready? When we allow opposition to only sharpen our spiritual vision. So two things, two things can happen when opposition comes. We can stoop to their level and try to fight along with their tactics, or we can rise above and look to Christ. George Whitfield's one of my spiritual heroes. I, I was so blessed. I read his first volume, his, his biography, again a few months ago. And I was struck again. Whenever he was attacked, and he got attacked a lot, he was, he was one of those powerful preachers ever, okay? Ever, ever. It's amazing. And whenever he was attacked by people, the first thing he would do, stop and pray for the person attacking him. 
it seems so basic biblically, but like, how often do you do that? How often do I do that? Is your first response when people attack you in the midst of opposition is to stop and pray for them genuinely? Or are you like, how dare they? And I'm gonna get them and I'm gonna show them and I'm gonna blame them. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? I appreciate the honesty in this group right here. All right, all right. <laughs> and I'm with them too, man. Like, I mean, my flesh says, oh yeah. But then Whitfield's like, okay, I can, I can stoop through the level and sin or I can rise above. And you know what? I read that book. I tried that. I tried that. Like when attacked to stop and pray. It worked. Like, it was amazing. Like, like the love and then like the, the impact and that just like, anyways, just, it's a great thing. The opposition can motivate us to actually become more like Christ as opposed to becoming less. In verse 13, look at verse 13. He says here, for if we are, here's more attacks, I'll explain why. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. So this verse tells us that Paul's opponents were accusing him of being mad, being crazy, or being insane, being out of his mind for Jesus Christ. They were telling people that Paul had lost his mind. He was out of his senses. He was a madman speaking foolishness. Isn't it interesting that Jesus himself was accused of the same thing? Isn't it interesting when people are truly made new and they begin to live radical lives for the gospel that the world around them will often deem that as some form of insanity? Hey, question, have you ever been called crazy for Jesus? If you have, bless your heart. I know some of you right now in this room, I would definitely say you've been called crazy for Jesus and I love you for it. I love you for a love on some level. If we're genuinely living out the gospel, there will always be people in society that will look at us and say, you're messed up, man. And say, yeah, praise the Lord for the glory of God. I am. You don't understand it, but I pray one day you will. All right. This is one of the realities of living out. But what does Paul do? He takes the opposition. He turns it to motivation. Paul's passion, his zealousness for the Lord was so clear. It made such an impact. The world can't understand it. They try to dismiss it as madness. Again, another George Whitfield story. On the Sunday, the first Sunday after his ordination, he preached a message at his ordination and it was so powerfully used by God, the people in the village complained to the bishop that George Whitfield had caused 15 people to become insane. Isn't that great? And the bishop was a godly man. And the bishop said this. The bishop said, I wish all clergy had this effect on people as opposed to none at all. Amen? Amen? Isn't that so great? I mean, really, really great. Again, if we're truly living the gospel out, there should be a lot of people looking over and saying, man, you're, you're crazy. And you're just like, yeah, I am. I am. For the Lord. For the Lord. We're not purposely trying to offend. We're not purposely trying to be a nuisance. We're trying to love the Lord. But again, the gospel and the radical outworkings that it has. Verse 13, the summary of this verse that Paul is saying, whether you call me insane or I have a sound mind, I do this for either God's glory and God's glory in the love of God's people. Out of my mind for God. Right mind for you, church. In the face of opposition, his motivation only grew. I want you to see this, okay? okay? I want you to see this. When your vision's clear and your motivation's strong, motivation for the gospel, it will plow through distractions. The motivation for the gospel, it's like when, when big offenses or small offenses come in, they can often um, um, knock us off our bike and we're in the ditch and we're like, ah, oh, I feel so offended. But when we're, when we're motivated and we see the Lord, we plow through the distractions, big or small. We don't take offense because we're in Christ. And then we keep moving on. This is, this is what Paul's doing. 
He's like, people are attacking him all over the place, but he's so focused on the Lord that he's like, well, you can say what you want, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the Lord Jesus Christ loves me. I'm a child of him. He's my identity. He has accepted me. All my sins are forgiven. You can do whatever you want, but it doesn't make one look of difference on me because I'm a child of the king. What's he doing? He's, he's seeing clearly. He's motivated through the gospel. But now we get to the really good stuff, okay? Motivation number three, and it's this, the love of Christ. Here's the purest motivation of the text. It's the love of Christ. I mean, here the gospel just becomes boom, okay? Verse 14, he says, for, again, transition, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, okay? So when Paul says for, see the word for in verse 14, He's moving from one motivation to the next. And it doesn't get any bigger than this one, okay? See the phrase there? Um, For the love of Christ controls us. I mean, not everyone likes to write in their Bibles, but I hope you do just because it's a great way to learn or I recommend it. But I mean, that phrase should be highlighted, circled, something, something, okay? The love of Christ controls us. Now, I wanna be clear here. When Paul says this, this is not our love for Christ, This is Christ's love for us. The context shouts that out. The whole context is the gospel. It's not what we did for God, but he has done for us. So the love of Christ, Christ's love for us controls us. Remember, the motivation for the gospel itself is the love of God. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave He gave his only son. The love of God initiated the gospel of God into the world that God created through the son of God. For God so loved the world, he gave. It's it's, it's God's love that is the starting point for the gospel upon our lives and in this world. So therefore, I love this. When someone is made new in Jesus Christ, when they are made new, they are born again, they are regenerated, they become a new creation. When someone is made new in Christ, they are filled, they are saturated by the love of Christ. When you are made new in Christ, you receive a a blood transfusion from Christ. His blood flows through you now. When you are made new in Jesus Christ, the the spiritual leaven of Jesus Christ uh, uh, takes over and leavens everything by Jesus Christ himself within our lives. The love of God fills us entirely and completely. It takes over and the love of God now determines our ultimate destiny. So no wonder then, Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. Now the verb control here in verse 14, it's a wonderful examination. It carries kind of two meanings, okay? Two basic meanings when it says The love of Christ controls us. When we say that, some of us conjure up different definitions of what control means. Let me explain this uh, right now, okay? The first sense of the love of Christ controlling us, another way to say it is it constrains us. It, it, It protects us. Let me try to explain this. Think about how when the power of the gospel comes into your life and then redirects how you think, how you live, how you act. The gospel then, the love of Christ, comes into us and turns our hearts away from self and now towards the Lord Jesus Christ. The the love of God, the love of Christ, fills our lives and in this sense, 
it constrains us, it controls us from destroying our lives with the sin of the world, with our, with our, with our own sin. So the, so the love of Christ starts something in us that God's going to finish. The person genuinely saved by the love of Christ will begin walking a path that he or she will never cease to stop walking until they get into glory. Why? Ultimately, it's the love of Christ. It, it protects us. It constrains us. It controls us. It's the grace of God's love which keeps us from eternal damnation and death or sin. Isn't that good news? That's amazing, isn't it? And so this is the love of Christ. This is the love of God. What grace is in his love. This is why the little poem goes, and where would I go or who would I be if the love of God did not live within me? And where would I go and who would I be if the love of God did not live within me? I would be a disaster. I would be a train wreck. I would be dead. I would be in hell. I would be utterly lost. But the love of God controls me. It protects us saved in Christ. It constrains us. But the other sense of this word control is that it compels us. And some translations actually use that word. So it constrains, but then it compels us. Compel is um, urgency. The love of Christ brings an urgency, a compulsion to do something with the love I've been given. So God's love in us throws us forward into fruitfulness in passion, okay? So in this sense, God's love comes in and protects us. It, it, it captures us, which is so great, but it doesn't just hold on to us forever in the sense that we just sit there and do nothing. It captures us, but then it puts us in a catapult, releases it, and sends us into the world. We are compelled we have compulsion with the love of Christ to share it as well. We persuade others. If we are made new, we have a love that will never leave us, but we want a love that will be shared from us. The love of Christ controls us. Paul can't help being who he is because of the love of Christ, because of the love of God within him. It spurs him on in the midst of pain and trial to keep sharing Christ's love with those who need it most. Is our motivation the love of Christ? It has to be. That is why, that is why my greatest motivation for our fourth service coming up, my greatest motivation is the love of Christ through the gospel. That's why I'm doing it. That's the only thing that can really turn me over to making sense of what's happening. It's because people are dying. And so through the love of Christ, how can we not share this message with, 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 with a dying world and allow a more people, a, a thousand, twelve hundred, more people to come in and be a part of what God is doing? What is that? It's the love of Christ. Um, what would cause you to serve and harvest kids in this new season where we need so many people to jump in? It's the love of Christ. It's not guilt. It shouldn't be guilt. It's not, well, well, God will be happy with me. I do that. It's because I love Christ. I want to spend my life by pouring the love of Christ into other children. I value that because I have God's love in me. I want to share that with others. Uh, why would I serve on the welcome team? Another great need among our churches. Because of the love of, why do I want to share? Because I love people. I love God. I want to share God's love with other people. Uh, why would I move from Sunday to Saturday night? 
in this next season because it's the gospel. It's the love of Christ. I give up a seat on Sunday. I come and attend church on Saturday night because my seat allows people to know the love of Christ. And I'm compelled by the love of Christ. This is the way it's supposed to go. Why do I want to reach the lost through my life? The love of Christ. That's why. It's, it's to compel us. We can't keep it in. See, if we're really understanding what's happening here and the new hope of glory and the new vision and then the, the new motivation and, and the new passion, the love of Christ is just, it's everything. It's the purpose of the gospel that saved us and then sends us as well. What are we motivated by? What's our motivation? Well, for Paul, it's the motivation of the fear of the Lord. It's motivated within opposition. It's motivation with the love of Christ. And then lastly, he's motivated by this. He's motivated through a new ambition. He has a new ambition now. A new ambition. Look at the second half of verse 14. Uh, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him uh, who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, so I need you to see this, loved ones. I need you to see this, the source of all this power, the source of all this motivation. It's all right here. And what's right here? The source of it all is the gospel. Notice what Paul's doing. He's just like, he's like, okay, so the love of Christ controls us and the one who died died for all. He's, he's just like, his fuel is the gospel. His perspective is the gospel. He, he's constantly rehearsing the gospel. A sinner, a wretch, in need of a savior. The glory of God came down and saved me. Here I am. I don't deserve to live, but I live for Jesus Christ. It allows him to understand why he exists. He reflects upon the love of God. It keeps inspired. Again, his very reasoning for his motivation is ending right here and this is what he impacts again. Are we doing that? If you want to be motivated, man, get the gospel running through your life. Find ways every day to rehearse. That's why, we re That's why we're in this passage right now. Because it's God renewing our minds to the truth that matters most that we might live effective lives resulting in his glory. And this pattern is to be repeated every day in some form so that we keep reminding ourselves of why we live. And so we're motivated. Again, what's temporal? What's eternal? What dies? What lasts? What, what's a waste of time? What counts for Jesus Christ? We're just being reminded of this right now. Notice what Paul says in verse 14. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That's amazing. One has died. Jesus has died for all. Therefore, all have died. Jesus saves us from death. He propels us to life. Now, what does it mean that Christ died and therefore all have died? It means that when Christ died, we died with him. Uh, Galatians 2.20. Flesh has been crucified. No longer I who live, but him who lives in me. So with Christ, the old self, the old self has been crucified with him. The penalty of sin removed. And the presence of sin will soon be dealt with. The, the, the days of our sinful flesh are numbered once and for all. Because Christ died, our old self died with him. 
and we are no longer under the penalty of him or the power of him, and we are now free to live in Christ. And, and that's why, loved ones, when we, when we are changed by the gospel and word made new, like this just in, we're, we're made new. We become again in verse 17, next week, Lord willing, verse 17, it says, the old has gone, the new has come. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is here. The new has come. We are now new creations because he died. We all died with him. Our sin died with him. Our old self died with him. And when the old self is crucified with Christ on the cross, we now have the ability to live, to live in fullness and freedom and power and passion. So what's happening here in verses, in the verse 14, it's this, it's the death of death in the death of Christ. It's the death of death in the death of Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. Why, why? Because one has died for all, therefore all have died. Every person who gives their lives to Jesus Christ, their old self is killed and they are free to live for Christ. It's interesting in the passage to come, Paul says, I implore you to be reconciled to Christ. How many are here right now and you're dead? I mean, I wonder, in all sincerity, how many are here right now and you are spiritually dead? Physically, you're alive, your heart is beating, but spiritually, there's no heartbeat. Do you know that you're not alive? That's a fascinating question. Do you know that Christ does not live in you because there's no fruit. There's no love for God. I mean, half the stuff I'm saying right now, you're just like, well, I might see that in other people, but in my life, I don't see any of that. That's a very serious sign that God has not saved you, that there's no spirit of God in you. Because when you're made new, man, you got, you, got, you got to know it. When the Holy Spirit comes in and brings you from death to life, there's a whole awakening, there's a whole, everything changes. I mean, you're just, you literally become an entirely new person. And so do you think you're sitting here right now to listen to this message, just go through the motions and leave again that nothing changes in your life? Are you kidding me? You think you're here by accident? That God would put you in your seat right now? That you would just sit and listen to this with a hard heart and a dull mind and have no bearing whatsoever on what this means for your eternal destiny? Really? Could it be that you're here right now because God loves you so much? that he gave his one and only son, that if you would believe in him, that you will not die but have everlasting life? Could it be that God calls from you right now faith from your life and your heart to exercise by his grace and faith in you that Jesus Christ died for all your sins and paid for all of them, that you would say, I am not Lord, I am not king. Jesus, you are Lord, you are king. I believe in you, I love you, I trust in you, and I want you to save me that I too might be crucified in old flesh, that I might live now with the newness of life. Could it be that you are here to hear that message right now? And could it be that the Lord wants to rescue you from death and hell and sin and save you for eternity? Could it be? It's one of the main reasons we're even here to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that others might know the joy that we have of being made new in him, not because you're a good person, because he's an awesome savior. See, Robbie, what do I do? You, you turn from sin and you run to Christ as best you know how. And you call him King and Lord. And you say, Lord, I want you to save me. And then what happens? Well, notice the outworking and the implications of the gospel in verse 15. 
and he died for all, Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So here's just a little, little test right here, okay? If you want, yeah, okay, Jesus, you save me from life, or you save me from death, so I have life. You save me, but now I want to live for myself. See, a lot of people in this world, they do that. Oh, Jesus, okay, so I get the fire assurance, but let me just go live for myself now. So you save me from death, but I won't give you any part of my life. I live for self. You don't get it. That's the person, if they keep living this way over all this time, they don't get it. If you say, Jesus, save me from death, but now I want to do everything I want to do in my life and live for myself where I'm actually king, that, that, that is not truly someone who's made new. You can't do that forever. That means there's no genuine transformation. See, the reason he died is that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him, but for him, but for him, but for him, that we might live. Are you like me? Like when I read verse 15, there's something in my heart that goes, Doop. Like when I read this, I'm just like, yes! Like I, I, it's the spirit of God in me. My flesh is like, no! But the spirit of God in me says, yes! This is why you exist, Simons! This is your purpose! Your purpose isn't for self. Your purpose is for Christ. Something in me, I read this verse, I'm like, yes! Yes, this, this is it right here. I have been saved for something beyond myself. I have been saved not for my, I've been saved for God's glory. This, this is it. That I might no longer live for me, but I might live for him. Because the day is coming so soon, I will see him. I will see him. I will, I will meet him face to face. And all that matters then is who I was and what I did. And then I realize this life is about him and all the glory belongs to him. I love this verse. It's the purpose of our lives. He died that we might live and live not for self, but live for him. Notice it says, notice it says, I mean, don't miss this, who for their sake, who for the, who believers sake died and was raised. Does that humble you? That should humble you right now, okay? You, you look at this, you're like, for my, for my sake? but I'm a sinner. I, for my sake, he died and was raised. Sake means purpose, ambition, and Jesus Christ made us, his children, his ambition. He lived and died for us, for our sake, that we might live. That humbles me and that should humble you. We are not worthy. He is worthy. He has made us his ambition. Loved ones, should we not then make him ours? He has made us his ambition. Should we then not make him our ambition? He has made us his ambition. Should we not then make him our ambition? Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. What's your motivation, loved ones? What's our motivation? It was John G. Payton, the amazing missionary to the New Hebrides. And he was going back to this place where cannibals were, and cannibals had previously killed and eaten missionaries. And a man protested Peyton's traveling to the New Hebrides by saying, the cannibals, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. You know what John Peyton said in response to this man saying, you'll be eaten by cannibals? He said, Mr. Dixon, 
You are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. He says, I confess to you that I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus. It will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. There's your answer, Mr. Dixon. What is that? How can he say that? Who lives like that? Someone who's motivated by the fear of the Lord? Someone who's motivated within opposition? Someone who's motivated by the love of Christ? And someone who's motivated through an entirely and supernatural new ambition? That was John Payton's life, and that can be ours as well. If we are made new, we must be motivated. Final question, what motivates you? What motivates you? You're listening to Live in the Light with Robbie Simons. Well, a convicting message for sure, but one that finds us at the end clinging again to the grace that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Loved ones, there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. We cling to that truth today as we wrap up this episode and pray that God's grace be with you this day. That's all for today, loved ones. We hope you join us again tomorrow here on Live in the Light.